Well, if you have a Bible with you, we are going to be in the book of Exodus, chapter 31 primarily. There's a short little text, chapter 35. The subject that we're going to talk about today is the Sabbath, the title there, subtitle rather, from sacred space to sacred time. Again, looking at the Sabbath. We're returning this week to our studies in the book of Exodus, following a short little break there for Easter the last couple of weeks, and we're picking up (coughs) where we left off the last time. Previously, if you were with us, we were in a five-part mini-series on the tabernacle, and what we discovered was that in giving instructions for the tabernacle, what God was giving to His people after He liberated them from Egypt and brought them into the area of Mount Sinai, as he was moving them into the promised land, he gave them the tabernacle, which was to be a sacred space where he would dwell among them and speak to them, where they could meet with God, where they could make sacrifices for their sins and receive forgiveness of their sins and where their prayers would be offered and heard by God. The tabernacle, as we saw over the last five weeks in Exodus, was a sacred space. What's interesting, though, is that at the end of all those chapters that we looked at on God's instructions for the tabernacle, What we discover now as we come to chapter 31 and kind of the end of that discussion is that God not only creates a sacred space, but He creates a sacred time for His people to worship and meet with Him. After all, what good is it in having a sacred space if you don't make the time to use it, right? What do they say about buying boats? The best day you have a boat is the day you buy it and the day you sell it, right? Because most people buy these things and then they don't use them. Because you buy them, you're like, cool, I got this thing, and then you don't have the time to use it. And the sacred time that God gave in relation and connection to the tabernacle and ultimately their life of worship was this day called the Sabbath. And just so that we're all on the same page, I'm going to give you a working definition for the Sabbath. This is the definition we're going to be working off of today. The Sabbath... It's on the screen. The Sabbath is a sacred day of the week for solemn rest, commanded and modeled by God for worship and witness. That is the definition we're going to be working off of today about what the Sabbath is. And so my goal for us this morning is to help all of us understand the importance of the Sabbath, at least the importance it was for them then in the context of Exodus. And then moving forward, how the Sabbath is clarified in the coming of Christ, and then how all of that shapes our practice and what we believe as New Testament, New Covenant believers in the church today. And my hope in that discussion is to hopefully convince you from this text and others that the Sabbath should be kept sacred by God's people for rest, worship, and witness. That is sort of the main idea and the goal that I hope to accomplish as we walk away today. So we're going to jump right in and read Exodus 31, 12 to 18. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, 
Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people." Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Remember the other text is in chapter 35. It's the follow-up when Moses actually goes and speaks. We're not going to read it this morning for the sake of time. But as you get older, as I've gotten older, as people get older... And as responsibilities increase, you realize what little time you have to do the things that you want to do, or maybe the time that you you used to have to do the things you wanted to do. As you get a family and as you grow older, your schedule revolves around their schedule, and suddenly you realize you don't have time to do the things that you used to do. And what often happens when time gets limited is that desires give way to the urgent. This is what I have to do. Wants give way to needs. And if you aren't careful, if you're not disciplined with your time, eventually priorities give way to what is pressing or most pleasing in the moment. And most often, at least in the lives of Christians, what takes the first hit is your commitment to spiritual rest. And God knows this about his people. And so he gives this word here that we just read, this command to his people to keep the Sabbath. It is, as I defined earlier, a sacred day of solemn rest. Notice in verse 13 what God tells Moses to say to his people. He says, above all, keep my Sabbaths. It's a concluding remark to the instructions from that sacred space called the tabernacle, God says, after all the things that I just said to you, Moses, about the tabernacle, above all, keep this sacred time, this Sabbath, to the Lord. As we read those verses, though, if I were to ask you a question, hey, what are all those verses about? You would say, it's about the Sabbath. Okay, so now the follow-up question is, okay, what is he saying about it? What is he saying about the Sabbath? And so the rest of our time, that's what I want to do is explore what is he saying about the Sabbath? Why should we keep it? How are we to observe the Sabbath? And hopefully by the end show you that the Sabbath should be kept sacred by God's people for rest, for worship, and witness. I'm going to fully confess, I'm biting off more than I can chew this morning on this subject of the Sabbath. I have six brief points that I want to make from the text today. Hopefully you're taking notes 
six points. I'm going to start. Uh, we're not going to go line by line. Instead, we're going to go theme by theme through these verses here. So I'm going to con- make some connections. The first point is this, the Sabbath and the covenant. This is one of the things that we observe in this text. In these verses, if you just scan them over again with your eyes, we see that the Sabbath was a sign for God's covenant people that pointed them back to the covenant that he made with them and that they made with him. He tells us in verse 13 what that sign signifies. What is it pointing me to? He says what in verse 13? So that you may know that it is the Lord who sanctifies you. In other words, it's the Lord who sets you apart, who has pulled you out of the world, out of your situation, and brought you near to himself. In other words, setting apart a day in the week for rest and worship was a sign that God has set you apart from the world for himself. While everyone else in the world who does not know God is going about their lives, doing whatever they want, whenever they want, you are choosing instead to show your devotion to God and His covenant with you by setting aside a day for Him because He has set you aside for Himself. But there's more because the Sabbath is not just a covenant sign about sanctification. It is also a covenant sign that God, you believe God is provider for his people. We see that actually most clearly if you look back in chapter 16. In that chapter, God gives a promise to his people that he will provide food for them. It's this manna from heaven, this bread from heaven. And he said, I'm going to give it to you every day. And in that chapter, we see that God gave instructions for how they are to gather this heavenly bread from the ground. They are to gather it every day, and they are not to take any extra for the next day. Instead, daily provision, except on the sixth day. On the sixth day, they are to gather enough manna for the seventh day. Why? Because on the seventh day, it's a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Think about that for a minute. After centuries of living under an oppressive leader known as Pharaoh in Egypt, who made them work tirelessly and endlessly, the true God of Israel, who delivered them from that oppressor, is now saying, I want you to experience the joy of work and the joy in resting from your work and refreshment. And if he was going to require that day off from them, he's like, I'm going to provide for you on that day to be able to rest. So in conclusion, by observing the Sabbath, God's people proved that they believed God can do more in six days than they can do on their own in seven days. To keep the Sabbath then was a sign of belonging to God's covenant people. It was a sign of faith in the God who provides. Notice though, there's a warning also. Actually, there's a couple warnings in these verses because God tells Moses there in verse 14, anyone who does, not, who does work on the Sabbath will be cut off from his people. In other words, what God is saying is that if someone fails to keep the Sabbath, if they don't set aside this day, what they're actually proving is that they don't trust in God. Instead, they desire personal ambitions, 
personal pursuits more than their pursuit of God. And if that is the case, then they have actually cut themselves off from fellowship with God's people. This, in the text, is a gracious warning from God through Moses to his people about the dangers of unbelief. That's what's happening here. An example of this, I think, in modern-day context would be when a church has membership and is healthy in their practice of membership, they would practice something called church discipline. Unfortunately, many churches have people on their membership roles. They're members of a church, but they come three times a year. They're CEOs, right? Christmas and Easter only Christians. But there's a third time they come. The third time is at the annual meeting when it's time to vote on something. And they come and they vote, and yet they have no, no idea what's going on at the church because they don't come all year long. And now what should happen in a situation like that? Well, first, members of the church should approach this person. Hey, man, like, hey, lady, <laughs> we love you. What, why, where are you? Oh, you know, I'm busy. I got this thing going on. Okay, cool. When are you going to come back? I'm coming back. And then you follow up and follow up. But after a while, it's like, listen, they're not coming back. And... Uh, We've talked to them, we've warned them, and, and so that person should be removed. Not to be mean, but as a sign that they are out of God's perfect will. They're out of bounds, as some would say, with God's desire for them, which is to gather regularly with God's people for rest and worship. They're pursuing the wrong things. This is a warning sign of unbelief. That's the Sabbath. That's the covenant sign. But he moves from there to a second point, the Sabbath and the commandment. This is point number two, the Sabbath and the commandment. This text is not the first time in the book of Exodus that we learn about the Sabbath. As was discussed a moment ago, we actually first hear about it with the giving of the manna and the heavenly bread. But there's a second time. It was when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai. It was the fourth commandment that they are to keep the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, which God then later scribbles down, he says at the end of that text, with his own finger on tablets of, of stone. What is referred to, the Ten Commandments is referred to as the moral law of God. It was given as a overarching decree of the standard of God's will for all people everywhere. And keep in mind, the law was never given to be a means of salvation, but to show all people what the perfect standard of goodness by which all people will be measured against. And when we look at that, we say, that is goodness. That is the highest level of morality. And then we go, yeah, I'm way below that. <laughs> I'm not even close. And so the law is not necessarily a means of salvation as if we're delu or delusional in thinking we can keep it. Instead, it shows us our need and how far short we fall, our need of grace. Nevertheless, as Paul said in Romans, the law is good and it ought to be upheld by his covenant people, which includes here the fourth command to keep the Sabbath day. And I'll say more about that when we get to the topic of the Sabbath and the church. But at this point, all I want to point out to you is the Sabbath is a part of the eternal command of God. And this law is not meant to be a burden. It's meant to be a liberating blessing. Think about it this way. This would be like your boss 
at work saying, hey, I want you to take a paid day off this week. And just don't answer any emails, don't answer your phone, spend time with your family, uh, spend time spiritually resting in who God is, and not just this week, but do it every single week for the rest of your life. No one would say, my boss sucks. They are the worst. I can't believe that they would force me to just take a break and they're going to pay me for it. No one would say anything like that. That would be ridiculous. And yet, for some reason, people don't see the Sabbath in this way, nor do they view God's command in this way. Instead, people see it as voluntary. I mean, I know he's given it to me, but I mean, I can do whatever I want. I know he commanded it, but you know, it's not the big a deal. Or they see it as unnecessary. I, I can do it. I can do it, God. I know you're giving it to me. Thanks for that. But, you know, I've got the energy. I've got the strength. I can keep pushing through. I'm young. I, like, still have my vigor or whatever. <laughs> I, I can keep going. Or worse, they make it a matter of legalism. They, for some reason, think, man, this is the standard. I better do this or else God won't accept me or God won't love me. Or some actually measure their personal religious experience against someone else. Look at the way I observe the Sabbath versus the way you keep it. But that's not the point. Even Jesus clarified for the Pharisees who had made it a legalistic thing and a burden for the people. He says, listen, you guys, the, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. People are the point, and you have made this a source of frustration and annoyance to people. It's not supposed to be that. What I've actually observed, though, in our day is not necessarily so much of a legalistic approach to the Sabbath or things, conversations about rest and spiritual rest. What I've observed, and maybe you have as well, is, again, not legalism uh, or even moralism per se, but what some refer to as therapeutic deism. There's like a form of spirituality in there, but it's really just self-help and self-care conversations devoid of anything really godly, anything really gospel at all. And so we need to be careful that though the Sabbath day is a day of rest commanded by God, it is neither a source of legalism nor is it a source of therapeutic deism, as if you don't have to have a relationship with God through Christ in order to observe the Sabbath. If you just take a day off, you'll experience that rest that your body really needs, but that's not true. And we'll talk about that later on in a moment. Nevertheless, there is, this is a command. And just like in the covenant sign, the command also comes with a warning that whoever profanes the Sabbath he says, shall be put to death. Now, that's like, whoa, that's a harsh response. You just took this to 11. What's going on here? Well, let's connect it to the Garden of Eden. God said to the man, if you eat of this fruit, in that day you will surely die. And you're like, whoa, that's harsh. But, but what is the point? The point is rebellion, disobedience, running in an opposite direction from God, thinking that you can do whatever you want apart from God. He's saying, in the moment you start doing those kinds of things, certain death is coming your way. And that's what he's saying. When you avoid the Sabbath, you're actually inviting spiritual death into your life. So that's the Sabbath and the commandment. A third thing is the Sabbath and creation. 
the Sabbath and creation. When we were studying through the tabernacle, we observed that six times it says in the literature there, God spoke to Moses to tell the people, you shall make the tabernacle in this way. Six times he says that. And then on the seventh time is where we arrive here in chapter 31, where God again speaks to Moses and says, but above all, keep the Sabbath. It was a sacred time in context with this sacred space. What we observe then in that structure of the literature is that God is grounding the instructions of the tabernacle And this time of the Sabbath, he's grounding all of that in the creation story that we see in the book of Genesis, where it says that God spoke, and in six days, he made everything, heaven and earth and all the things in it, but on the seventh day, he rested. We observe that in the structure of the tabernacle and now with the Sabbath, but what has been observed in the whole language of all of that is made explicit right there in verse 17. Look at it again. He says this, that just as God made everything in six days and rested on the seventh day and was refreshed, you too are to work six days, and on the seventh day, you are to rest and be refreshed. Now, there's some implications for this, the connection between Sabbath and creation. The first thing is this, that the Sabbath is not a cultural observance. Some have argued, well, (coughs) the Sabbath is a cultural thing. It's something that those people did back then in that day, or some people still do it today, but that's connected to their culture. And so it's not necessarily applied to our culture today, but that is not true because God does not ground the Sabbath day in culture. He grounds the Sabbath day in the indicative creation story. It is therefore by divine design, not human invention, which is what culture is, right? It's God-ordained all the way from creation. Jesus would make a similar argument regarding marriage. Remember what he said? Some people were talking to him about marriage, and he said, listen, from the very beginning, before sin entered the world, God made them male and female. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. He grounds marriage in the creation story. Paul makes a similar argument about gender roles in the church, and he's not arguing from culture. (coughs) Instead, he argues from creation. He says, listen, from the very beginning, God made man first and then woman from man. Therefore, that is the pattern for authority structures in the home and in the church, Again, the Sabbath is not a cultural practice. It is grounded in God's good creation, which also tells us another thing. The Sabbath was given by a God who himself rested. I I heard this a long time ago. I can't remember who I heard it from. But God doesn't tell his people, you and me, to do something that he himself will not do or has not done. God is not the parent or the teacher, or the boss who says, do as I say, not as I do. Instead, he sets the pattern. He sets the ethic through his actions and attributes, and we simply follow his pattern of activity and attributes in the world. And yet, think about this. Unlike God, who he didn't need rest. 
And yet he rested. The prophets tell us that he neither tires nor slumbers. He doesn't grow weary or tired. And yet we grow weary and tired. Someone gave me an illustration earlier that humans are like batteries. You can't use them and then just put them on the shelf and expect them to recharge. They need to be put back on a charger. And so we too in the Sabbath day are in one sense put back on a charger. And we are recharged spiritually speaking to go on and live life again another day. If we just go on living our day, we're going to burn ourselves out and we can't just disconnect from God in the woods or a camping trip or something and think that's going to actually spiritually restore us. It does not work that way. Which leads me to my next point, the Sabbath and recreation. So we looked at the Sabbath and creation, now it's the Sabbath and recreation. Here's the tragic reality. We don't live in that perfect creation anymore. And what we learned in the tabernacle was that God was creating or recreating a sacred space to meet with His people. In Genesis, we discover that God met with Adam in a sacred space. He met with him in the Garden of Eden, but Eden was lost when sin entered the world. And so it was through the tabernacle now that God was restoring a sacred space to meet with His chosen people. And what we also learn in that Genesis story is that God had a sacred time that He would meet with Adam. Remember what it says? It was in the cool of the day that He would meet with him. And just in that same way, a a sacred time needed to be restored, and that time was the Sabbath day. So not only is the Sabbath grounded in the creation story, it's grounded in the redemptive recreation story. What's fascinating about the Sabbath is that God gave people this sacred time for us to be renewed, to be refreshed, to be transformed. We have this hope as Christians. We can change. I think so many people go through life thinking this is who I am and this is what I will always be and I can never be transformed. But that is not the gospel. We have this hope of being recreated, transformed from what we once were to the image of Jesus Christ, what we ought to be. And we will, we'll look at this in a few weeks, with shining faces look forward to the glory of God that is going to be fully consummated in us. What's fascinating about the Sabbath is that God gave us this sacred time, this ordinary means of grace in order to be transformed in. As we come week by week and we gather and we fix our eyes and attention and hearts and souls on the Lord, we are actually being renewed day by day. It's that day of the week where God refreshes us and restores our soul. The next thing is the Sabbath and Christ. We're going to fast forward now. We're going to move out of Exodus and we're going to move into the New Testament where we see, especially in the Gospels, that the Sabbath day had fallen on hard times. It had become a legalistic burden and not a blessing. And actually, many times, It was used by the religious leaders as a tool of division and strife between them and Jesus. One such story is actually found in Matthew 12. Jesus' disciples, I'm just kind of paraphrasing, they're walking through a grain field and they're picking heads of grain and they're eating it. They're hungry. And the Pharisees see them doing it and they say, they're breaking the Sabbath. They approach Jesus on it and Jesus, I'm paraphrasing again, he goes, listen, didn't David do such and such? 
And, and didn't the priests do this and this? And, and he's essentially trying to expose to them, listen, you guys are, we're just hungry, okay? <laughs> we're not breaking the Sabbath. Why are you making this so ridiculous? Again, the, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Then right after that scene, Jesus is in the temple and there's a man there that needs healing. And they ask Jesus, hey, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They believe that it wasn't. And Jesus asked them, listen, if one of your sheep fall in a pit on the Sabbath day, are, are you not going to help that sheep out? Of course you are. How much more valuable is this person than a sheep to need healing? And Jesus sort of like in their faces just heals the man. And I love it. And they're ticked off at Jesus. But right in the middle of those two scenes, Jesus makes this epic statement about the Sabbath. He says, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You guys have missed it all, these Pharisees. For centuries, these religious leaders in Israel had gotten it all wrong. What they had done, like all people do with God's good, gracious gifts, they had warped it and they had twisted it its intended good purposes into something it was never supposed to be, and suddenly this wonderful day that God gave to his people became a burden. But Jesus corrects that really in one quick chapter in Matthew 12. He clarifies, listen, simple things are not breaking the Sabbath, okay? Eating food is not breaking the Sabbath. Helping someone in need is not breaking the Sabbath. Actually, that's the point of the Sabbath, is to focus on helping others and worshiping the Lord. Instead, not acting justly like you guys are doing, making other people's lives harder than it should be is what actually is breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus is explaining all that. Listen, I'm the one who gave the Sabbath to you. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. But, but it's more than that, right? Because not only is He the one who gave it to them, but he is alone the one who can give true rest. And that's kind of the point. Here's the fact of the matter. You can take all the time off you want. You can rest. You can relax. You can go lay on a beach. You can go to the mountains. Whatever it is that comes into your mind that you think, if I can just do that, I will experience self-care. You can do all of those things and spend all your time and money doing all of that, but until you find your rest in Christ, you're wasting your money and you're wasting your time. It was Augustine who famously stated in his autobiography, The Confessions, he said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. In the tabernacle, we discover Jesus is the fulfillment of the sacred space. He is the ultimate place where God and man meet, where God meets with his people. That is what Jesus did in the incarnation. But in a similar way, the Sabbath finds its ultimate fulfillment in the person of Jesus because he is the ultimate giver of rest, not just the day, but the quality of our rest. Isn't that what Jesus said? in those famous words in Matthew 11, right before Matthew 12, when he teaches on the Sabbath. He says these famous words, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, which takes us to our final section, the Sabbath and the church. After all, the question remains, what does the Sabbath day have to do with us? New Testament, New Covenant believers washed with the blood of Christ. And what's interesting is that in the New Testament, we see the historic practice of the Sabbath day that was observed on the seventh day of the week, which would be a Saturday, being replaced instead with worship on the first day of the week in commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus that we just obviously celebrated last week on Easter. And so we just see this brand new pattern just out of nowhere. The New Testament believers, Jews and Gentiles, are now saying, this is our new day, our solemn day of rest, and we're going to do it in observance of the fact that Jesus rose again from the grave on the first day of the week. So then for centuries now, Christians have concluded and believed that the Lord's day is the replacement of the traditional Sabbath day under the old covenant. And, and likely, obviously, they did this to show separation between the new covenant and the old covenant, but celebration and commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus. So what this means for us is that though the day has changed, the principle has not changed of setting aside a day for worship and witness. That continues on even to now in the early church and even in the church today in its Sunday morning. Now, let me make a concession. Paul writes in Colossians to the believers there that they are not to let anyone judge them based on various religious holidays, including Sabbath days. Evidently, there were people being divisive about it in his day, but probably what's going on is there are people who are going to Christians saying, you're celebrating the Sabbath on Sunday, you need to celebrate the Sabbath on Saturday. And he's like, listen, don't let any of those guys judge you on that. Because the substance is Jesus. It's about him and what he has done. Nevertheless, probably the greatest commentary on the Sabbath and all of that comes out of Hebrews 3 and 4. But he writes to us these challenging words, and we'll kind of end with this. He says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Did you see what he's saying there? Let us therefore strive. He's saying it is a choice on your part a choice of discipline, a choice of love and affection, a choice of doing what is best in the end to the immediate need now that pulls us away constantly. Strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. My goal from the beginning of this was to show you that the Sabbath day is still a solemn day of rest for God's people. And the purpose of that rest is for worship and for witness to the world that you belong to God by faith. And as we've seen, the Bible is clear from creation to covenant to Christ to the church to the ultimate consummation, God wants to give rest to His people again in the future, but also even present now. 
and He has given us that rest ultimately in Christ, but practically as we set aside ourselves on a day of the week, that sacred time for worship and for witness. Why don't we pray together and then we'll have a time of communion. God, we come before you and we thank you, God, that you have given us this sacred space and sacred time to be able to be refreshed. God, we acknowledge that all week long we are just taken through the ringer. There's so much purpose and reason for despair and discouragement, and yet we come here and we gather today and every week to be reminded of the greater reality that you are in control, that you are sovereign, that you are providential, that you are good, and that your good purposes are greater than all of the negative, satanic purposes that exist in the world and against your church. You will win in the end, but you give us that breather, that reminder every single week of those truths and those great gospel realities. We also confess, Lord, that we have, like so many others, messed this day up. But even your good grace forgives us of those things. Help us to have an affection, a passion for that refreshment that is only found in you, not in any other self-help thing that people try and create today. Help us to pursue you and fix our eyes on you, Jesus, and you alone for the refreshment our souls need. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.